0: I heard the news about Sally Besky this weekend that Mary-Kate shared earlier. I started to rewrite portions of my sermon, but was at a loss for words. I spent more time pacing around my house than actually putting pen to paper. Anything I did write didn't feel accurate or adequate or make sense. Perhaps some of the sensations you're experiencing right now. But then I started to think about what it feels like to be around Sally. I thought about how she always has a smile on her face. I thought about her warmth. Now, I haven't known Sally very long, certainly not as long as many of you, but she always had a kind word for me and a calming presence and is truly one of the kindest people I know. I also thought about how sweet she is to my oldest daughter. My oldest can be fairly shy, especially around a large group of people. But whenever she's around Sally, Sally would always make it a point to make her feel welcome, to single her out and make sure she is recognized. thought about how amazing it is to have that childlike sense of wonder to relate to children of many generations throughout the years. So maybe, just for now, just for a little while, we can sit here and be together to feel some warmth, maybe smile a bit, maybe be a little more childlike ourselves, and maybe be a little bit more like Sally Besky. Now, would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Earlier, we heard a parable about weeds and wheat. Jesus was the master of parables, and it's quite clear what this parable exactly means to me and us, and there's no doubt about this, and that is, I don't know. (laughs) That's the thing about parables. What do they mean? Even Jesus' disciples later on in the chapter after the crowd had dispersed went up to him and was like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Now it's been a while since Glenn left on sabbatical, so I thought some of you may be missing some Barbara Brown Taylor quotes. (laughs) She's a famous Christian clergy, academic, and author. She said about parables, their meaning talks more to our hearts than to our heads. Parables are mysterious. Left alone, they teach us something different every time we hear them, speaking across great distances of time and place and understanding. Jesus didn't tell parables to be exactly clear. He wanted to provoke imagination, to see things with a new perspective, something that could be revisited by people at different stages of their life to glean something new, something that generations way in the future would still be wrestling with. That was the genius of it. Imagine if all of Jesus' teachings were just some big rule book, like something out of Leviticus. Don't eat shrimp, don't mix fabrics in your clothes for some reason and other rules that don't really make sense outside of a particular time and context. I'd imagine not all of us would be sitting here this Sunday morning. I would love this ability just to say something mysterious and complex that will like blow your mind sometime later. I wanted to try one of my very own parables on you today. I wrote some down, but they all just kind of sounded like dad jokes. So I decided let's leave the thought-provoking parables to Jesus, I'll stay in my lane, now let's go back and try and decipher what Jesus may have been trying to tell us with this parable. In this parable a man sowed seeds in his field and while he was sleeping an enemy sowed weeds into his wheat. This was actually a thing back in the day, believe it or not, ancient legal documents show that feuding rival farmers occasionally did sow weeds and poisonous plants in each other's farms and fields. As the plants began to grow, they noticed the weeds among the wheat. The slaves and the servants asked their master, you know, I thought we planted the good stuff. What, is, what are all these weeds about? The farmer, he knew an enemy had done this. Then the slaves and servants asked if they should remove the weeds. And he said no. And I think that's a pretty odd response. In my mind, when I hear this parable and I hear the word weeds, I think of dandelions or those things in your garden that prick your fingers no matter how thick your gloves are, but the farmer knew that the weeds his enemy would have planted were a specific weed called the bearded darnel or its scientific name of lolium tenulentum. When one farmer wanted to sabotage another back then, they would have planted this particular plant because this plant is a noxious weed that mimics the characteristics of wheat, especially early on. Now we're gonna play a little game, okay? We have visual aids as part of our sermon today. We have a great, great game. If you guys could pull that up on the screens for me. Okay, now this game is very simple. You see an A and a B clearly marked up on the screens. If you think A is the weed, raise your hand, okay? Okay, you can put your hands down. Who thinks B is the weed? Okay, pretty mixed bag. I am here to tell you that the answer to this question is they're both weeds. I tricked you. (laughs) We we were playing Simon Says in my house the other day, and my daughter said, Dad, you should always be the one that gives instructions because you're the best tricker. (laughs) And at first I was like, wow, she thinks I'm really clever, but then I also realized she thinks I'm full of it. So. I do apologize, apparently it's in my nature. Could you go to the next slide, please? Now this truly shows the weeds labeled and the wheat labeled. And you can see that they look very similar. So it'd be very easy to confuse the weeds with the wheat. If they tried to remove the weeds, it was highly likely they couldn't tell the difference and may remove the wheat or leave the weeds or some combination of the two. I think there's a lot we could take from this particular parable. What I personally take away is we kind of suck at knowing what's good or bad or knowing what we're looking for. In chapters 11 through 13 of Matthew are many stories and parables about how people were responding to Jesus and his message, and it was a mixed bag. Some were very positive and and were absolute that he is the Messiah. Others were more neutral. Folks like John the Baptist and in Jesus' family, they're more like, is he the Messiah? And as an aside, I always think it'd be really trippy to be part of Jesus' family. I can just imagine the conversations. Uh, He's the Messiah. He's not even that great of a carpenter, but let's support his career choice, okay? (laughs) And then finally, there were those that were extremely negative to Jesus and his message. Israel's leaders, the religious scholars, the Pharisees, they believed he is blasphemous a false teacher, and leading the people astray. First off, nothing about Jesus fit the narrative of what these Israelite leaders would have been expecting. Their scriptures, the Old Testament, had foretold of a God who would come to rule his people and set them free. Keep in mind, the Israelites were ruled by the Roman Empire at that time. As you can imagine, many Israelites saw the chosen one as someone who would revolt against Rome and fight for their freedom. This was the coming of God's kingdom, a warrior king that would strike down Rome with force. But this Jesus fella, he was this poor traveling prophet healing the sick and inviting them to follow him. This was his version of God's kingdom, which, you know, was a bit of a letdown. And this isn't really anything that we should find too surprising. We do this in our day as well. In the book, Jesus and John Wayne, written by Kristen Cobez Dumais, speaks about tying Jesus to militant masculinity, akin to something John Wayne would play in one of his movies. I remember when I was a kid, my mom bought me a Lord's Gym t-shirt. Has anybody ever seen a Lord's Gym t-shirt? Thank you. A few of you have. It's a... Uh, it had a very ripped bodybuilder Jesus with a cross on his back, and at the top it said Lord's Jim," and at the bottom it said Bench Press This, <laughs> and I actually did wear it a couple times. Um, so both during Jesus' time and up to today, we have made him into something we expected rather than what he is and was. Now let's think about Jesus' teaching and preaching. Jesus taught of an upside-down world. It was really, really radical stuff. Everything about societal life as they knew it was turned upside down. There were no privileged members. The poor, the nobodies, the bad company, the wealthy, the social elite are all welcome and all of equal worth whether they deserved it or not. He preaches of God's love for the outsider and the poor and brings a reversal to all their value systems This new kingdom is about radical generosity, and people will lead by serving, and creating peace by forgiving. Now let's let's think about what happens with the world and their values when they get turned upside down. The people at top, what happens to them? They're kind of no longer at the top. This would have been your religious leaders, the wealthy, the educated. They didn't particularly like that. They start to resist and wage a campaign actively against Jesus. He hangs out with unsavory types, they say. He dishonors their traditions and brings instability to their societies. He's a drunkard and he dishonors God. I think we often see these folks as a villain in a movie. But honestly, I think they might be the most relatable. Think about it. You were expecting your hero to be this mighty warrior, one that would strike down your enemies the people that have been killing and mistreating you and your family for years. However, he isn't interested in that at all. In fact, he invites those people into your circle. This guy claims to be the chosen one, and he isn't even going to free us from Rome's rule. He isn't a leader. He says he's going to win by dying, some sort of suffering servant king or some such nonsense. Who says that? He hung out with some of the worst people as well. In today's world, I think he'd be hanging out at strip clubs or bars, and I'm not talking about the nice bars where they have cool names for the drinks and you swing sing Sweet Caroline and you can play Golden Tea in the corner. I'm talking about those trauma bars where everybody in there has seen a thing or two, everything's really sticky, and you kind of always feel like you're about ready to get stabbed. I think that's where Jesus may have been. He gave the poor and homeless the same prestige as those that had built up their fortunes and their families and their status, those that worked hard to get an education. They built their careers, did everything the right way and contributed to society. The poor didn't even need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. They were just equal and the same. This isn't the dude who we signed up for. This has to be a mistake. I would like to return my Messiah, please. You see, the villains in the Bible are highly relatable because I think we do the same things. And believe me, like my basketball coach used to tell me when I point the finger, there's three pointing right back at me, so I'm thrice implicated in these types of activities. We cherry-pick the teachings of Jesus to fit into our narrative of what we think the world should be like, what we think God is supposed to value. We choose what the wheat is and what the weeds are, when maybe we can't really tell the difference. We place people into categories based on preset success criteria. Even those we try to assist, the poor, the destitute, those without opportunity, we still hold ourselves in higher esteem. We place ourselves with a certain standing within society. Those folks cannot possibly provide the same value that we do. We're the wheat. And it's probably not their fault, but somebody has to be the weeds. And it's not surprising that we're like this. We are a society built on haves and have-nots. We value how much we produce and build wealth and increase our station in life. We climb the ladder. We strive to achieve. Now, Jesus is talking about this upside-down place where there is no status, there is no ladder, nothing to achieve outside of loving and acceptance and community. Even with those we don't choose to associate with. It's such a strange and radical idea. To this day, I don't think we have many real-world examples of it. Has anyone ever heard of the church and community development for all people? Anybody? A few folks? Downtown, off of Parsons Avenue, they do many, many wonderful things for the community. They provide housing to the uh, houseless. They prov- tackle affordable housing. They have free food markets, education programs, bike shops, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Last fall, I attended a conference there, and folks from all across the country flew in. There was reverends and doctors and reverend doctors. There were heads of nonprofits and experts in their fields. You know who else was there participating in the conversations and the meetings? Folks from the community, many of whom were poor and some of whom lived on the streets. They were not shooed away and told to be quiet and let the educated speak. They were welcomed and their opinions were respected. And they provided valuable, valuable information. Who can tell you more about the homeless experience? Someone that knows all the data on it or someone that's living it? I could tell you a lot of things about societal poverty, but I couldn't tell you how a family of four stretches $20 till the end of the month. Now the church for all people conducts their worship services in the same manner. Now is it messy sometimes? Absolutely. Things get off topic, someone suffering from mental illness may get sidetracked, the agenda may get messed up, the order of worship will go awry. Around here, sometimes I throw things at poor Stuart if our slides are a half second too slow. But for as much as it was messy, it was infinitely more beautiful. Everyone really, actually, truly had a seat at the table, was valued, was given worth. I think it's the sort of thing this Jesus guy was teaching us. These ideas of an upside-down kingdom are just as screwy today as they were 2,000-some-odd years ago. But if we could just let go, just stop trying to make things perfect, stop trying to protect ourselves, if we could put our egos aside, to stop fitting God in this neatly defined box, to realize that someone dedicating their life to serving and providing warmth is more valuable than we ever imagined. We may find that Messiah, that salvation, that beloved community we've always been looking for, but maybe didn't know what it looked like. Amen.